You're listening to the Grace Family Church Podcast. Notes for today's sermon are available by downloading the GFC Florida app. Well, hello, Grace Family Church. For those of you that don't know, I'm Pastor Daryl. I'm the uh, marriage couples pastor here. But before we do anything else, I'm going to ask you, I know you've done it already, but I'm going to ask you to stand on your feet. Just rest on your feet just for a few moments. On every campus, rest on your feet. Land Lakes, Clearwater Temple, Lutz, South, Tampa, Ebor, Carrollwood. Did I say Clearwater? Did I miss one? Clearwater, I'll say it again. We've been through a lot this year. Some of us have experienced loss. We've also experienced life. No matter what we've been through, God has been faithful. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 1 and 9, he said, we serve a God who is faithful. Has it been challenging? Yeah, but God is faithful. Have you been sick? Yeah, but God is faithful. Has there been death? Yes, but God is faithful. There's also been life because God is faithful. So I just want to know for the next 15 seconds, can we give God some praise because he's been faithful? Can we make some noise for Jesus because he's been a faithful God? He's been faithful. He's been faithful. He's been faithful. Praise him because he's been faithful. He's been faithful. He's been faithful. Psalm 22, Psalm 22 says, he inhabits the praises of his people. That means he sits and he dwells. That means he enjoys it when you make noise about him. He acts like a proud father. He said, ooh, yeah, that's one of mine. Go ahead and make some more noise for me. Yeah. He inhabits the praises of his people. I could go on, but we don't have the time. I love worshiping God, and I think God loves more than anything when his people are not afraid to open up their mouths and and encourage somebody else. We already talk about what praise and worship does, but it goes up into heaven as a sweet-smelling savor, and God enjoys when we praise him. That doesn't mean that things haven't been bad. That doesn't mean that we haven't haven't been challenged. It just means, God, you've been so good, even in the midst of it all. Before you sit down, turn to somebody and say, I love you and there's nothing you could do about it. <laughs> so I love the Christmas season. I love this season because uh, we get to dust off some scriptures that we don't normally get to preach and teach about during the year. And this is no different. So we're going to jump right into the word here and look at the book of Matthew 2 and 1 through 12. And we're going to see what does this have to say to us today. So bear with me as we read this verse. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star and when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. 
in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, these kings, these wise men, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star that they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened up their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. God, we open up our hearts, our minds, and our ears to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to finish this for me. On the first day of Christmas, my true love gave to me. And some of you don't even know what a partridge is. On the second day of Christmas, my true love gave to me two turtle doves. The song suggests that there are 12 days to Christmas. I would submit to you that there are 365 days to Christmas not just 12. I would submit to you, when you know who Jesus is, Christmas is not a day, nor is it a season. It is a lifestyle. I submit to you that when you know who Jesus is, you can celebrate Christmas in July and Easter in November. One of the most interesting places to be invited to is a one-year-old's birthday party. It's an interesting place to be invited to. You soon discover that there's nothing for the one-year-old. There's no one-year-old stuff. You go to a one-year-old birthday party, there's barbecue. One-year-olds can't eat barbecue. There's barbecue, there's beer, wine, and spirits in the cooler. They're playing horseshoes in the back, dominoes, spades. They're watching movies, they're yelling. There's not even a bouncy house for the one-year-old you soon discover that it's not a party for the one-year-old. It's more of a celebration for the parents who made it one year with this child. I think some of you see where I'm going. Christmas is Jesus' birthday, but somehow we've made it about us. It's his celebration, but we made it about us. We've made it so much about us that we're out searching for gifts and we have anxiety because we don't know what to get. And, and, and there's stuff like Secret Santa, and I don't like Secret Santa because I don't want you to put my name into a bag that I got to buy a gift for somebody that I don't really know that well, and I got to figure out what they want. Listen, I don't want Secret Santa. Just give me open Jesus. I don't want, don't, just, just. Just tell me what you want, and I'll give you a gift card. But we, we find ourselves depressed and full of anxiety because of gifts we have to buy. Some of us are in debt 
We're depressed and have anxiety because we're going to be in debt because of Christmas, and some of us are still in debt because of last Christmas. Because we made it not about Jesus. We made it literally about us. What can I get? We've even become entitled. What are you going to give me this Christmas? But what if, what if we interrupted this unhealthy, self-centered cycle and said, I'm going to make it about Jesus. Do, do this for me. I know everybody doesn't like, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway. Turn to the person next to you and say, it's not about you. It's not about you. Now turn to the other person. You tell them too. It's not about you. I can tell by looking right now. I can tell by your voice. Everybody didn't say it because you're selfish. You're like, it is about me. No, it's not. Christmas is for you, but it's not about you. It's not about you. What if we interrupted this unhealthy cycle and, and we didn't follow the cultural current? What if this year we didn't make it about us, but that we actually made it about Jesus? So I want to talk for the next few moments about what does it look like to interrupt this cycle of self-centeredness? What does it mean for us to make this year about Jesus? And to help us teach this is these three kings, these three wise men, these magi. And believe it or not, they're not called wise men because of who they are. They're called wise men because of what they did. So in our time together, I, I want to help us discover if we apply the principles that they did, it would help us understand that this is about Jesus. The first thing that we see in the text that these wise men did is wise men seek him. They seek him. They saw the star from the east, and they left where they were. They seek him. They, they left from where they were to come to where Jesus is. It, it, it can easily be overlooked, just like they just did something. Oh, they left where they were. This wasn't an easy trek. These three kings were in the Persian Empire. These are kings of Persia, India, and Arabia. And if they had traveled eight to ten hours a day once they saw the star, it would have taken them two and a half to three years to get to where Jesus was. So this wasn't an easy journey. They sought Jesus. They made up their mind that I am going to find out where the Savior is. I'm going to find Jesus. And they never let anything get in the way. If you've ever went on a road trip with your family for 10 minutes, you know there will be problems. If you've ever said, we're about to drive to Orlando or go out of town and see some relatives, if you've got kids in the car, you know after about an hour of riding in the car, they have annoyed you without all end. Somebody keeps asking the same question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? 
I can imagine this, these three kings on this caravan, and they don't just go by themselves. They actually take an entire caravan of people with them. We don't know how many there were, but there were many because these are kings, and they're bringing a lot of stuff. Can you imagine being on the road with them? At some point, somebody said, I got to go to the bathroom. Again, we just stopped at the gas station. You got to go again? But they didn't let how far they were going or what was going what was happening around them keep them to, from getting to where Jesus was. The interesting thing is they are only responding to what God has already done. They are responding because God came first. They're responding to the fact that he came, that he broke through eternity and put on human flesh and decided to be with us. He came to where we are, and that's all they're really responding to. God has repaired a place for us, and he's saying, I want to be where you are. Jesus made the first move. This is John 1 and 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh, and the Word was flesh, and that Word became flesh. In 1.14, it says, he became flesh, and he dwelt among us. I like what the Message Bible says. It says, the Word became flesh, and he joined the neighborhood. Jesus joined the neighborhood. Jesus came into the neighborhood, and they're responding to this move that Jesus makes. I love this story by Dr. Tim Keller. Dr. Tim Keller is, is, tells the story of a, a doctor who is, decides he's going to work from home while his wife goes to work in the marketplace. But at the time, they have three children under the age of eight, three boys. And, and the doctor says... He, the, what they, they're going to do is he's going to work upstairs while the children play downstairs. Three boys under eight years old. I'll work upstairs and they'll play downstairs. Day one, wife leaves. Dad goes upstairs. Kids, I'm going upstairs to work. I'll be upstairs. You stay downstairs. After a few moments of working, he hears them fighting, and he, did, he does what most fathers do when they're not in the same room as their children, and they don't want to leave the room that they're in. Hey, stop it, as he yells downstairs. It works for a few moments, and then there's more tussling, and he hears more chaos downstairs, and he yells again, hey, share They stop for a moment, and then he hears more tussling and fighting, and he says, hey, don't make me come down there. And then there's more fighting, and there's more tussling going on, and inevitably he figures out that the only way that they're going to behave is if I come to where they are. The only way the conflict between his children is going to cease is if he comes to where they are. Oh, if you catch it early, I'll preach shorter. <laughs> Grace family, I've come to tell you that we have a God who was upstairs, but he loved us enough to come downstairs and to bring peace and hope to his children and bring joy. I'm so glad that I got a God that was willing to come downstairs and bring peace into a messed up world. 
Wise men seek him. The question is, are you willing to respond to the move that he's already made? Are you willing, like, to, like the wise men, to leave where you are and to come where he is? If you are honest, some of us in this room who are watching are not in a good place. Some of us need to leave the dark place that we are in. We need to come to the place of life that God has prepared. We need, we need to leave our addiction and come to the place of hope. We need to leave our place of discouragement and come to the place of joy. We need to leave the place of anxiety and despair and come to the place of hope and peace. We need to leave the place of shame and guilt. Because Jesus wants you to come to the place of grace. He's made the first move. He's come downstairs. The question is, are you willing to respond to the move that God has made? We see that wise men, they seek him. The next thing we notice is that wise men, they worship him. Oh, say worship. They worship him. In verse 2, it says the reason that they were leaving is so that they could go and worship. The Bible says when they got to the room, they bowed down and worship him. I love the King James Version says they fell down. I mean, they lost all restraint. They fell down and they worship him. They walked into the room and saw Mary and they saw Jesus and understand by this time, I'm about to wreck some of you guys' uh, nativity scene. When the Three kings show up. Jesus is not a baby swaddled in the manger. Jesus is a two-and-a-half, three-year-old boy playing with Tonka trucks in kinetic sand. But when they walk into the room, they see Mary, and they see this little boy, and they immediately fall, and they worship him. No one even had to tell them who Jesus was. They saw him, and they fell. They didn't wait for an introduction. They didn't go, hey, is this him? They walked into the room because when God is in the room, his presence is so illuminous, you can't miss him. And they walk into the room and they fail. This teaches us something about worship. When you step into worship, you got to humble yourself. These kings are known as wise men because when they got into the presence of Jesus, they recognized greatness and they bowed down and worshiped him. This word worship here means to adore. They adored him. It's the idea that they opened up their hearts and gave everything they had. And the text says they fell in worship and then they opened up their treasures. They presented Treasure, and therein lies a great symbolism for you and I. When we are to worship, we should open up our hearts. And when we open up our hearts, there are treasures to be offered in worship. And you may be thinking, I don't have anything to give. Yes, you do. You may not have gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but you got your heart, your mind, your body, and your soul. You've got your sacrifice of worship. You have your time, your talent, and your treasure. You've got a lot, a lot to give. So the first thing that these wise men give, they give gold. Gold was a gift reserved for kings. And these kings realized that they were in the presence of a king. And so they gave him 
goal. This demonstrated that they recognized Jesus for who he is. This is, this is not just some little boy. This is not just Mary's baby. This is, this is not just Joseph's stepson. This is the king. This is, we've never seen anything like this before. This is, this is not just a child. This is the alpha and omega. This is the beginning and the end. This is the first and the last. This is the Lord of lords. This is the king of kings. When you worship him, you have to recognize him for who he is. And I know for some of us, this may be a challenge because instead of seeing Jesus, you see your anxiety. You see your problems. You see your troubles. You see your mother-in-law coming over for Christmas. But this is why we must worship as these wise men, because worship is where our perspective gets expanded. Psalm 34, David says, I will bless the Lord at all times, and his praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make her boast in the Lord. The hearers thereof shall be glad. I love this. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Magnify, to magnify, to magnify means to make bigger, make him bigger. It means to expand my thinking about who he is, magnify. So David is saying, in our worship, I've got to make God bigger. I've got to see him as he is and not just what I think and feel. I've got to see him as he is. I've got to make him bigger. And for many of us, there lies the problem that your problems are too big and your God is too small. And my prayer for you right now is that your vision will be expanded so that God will be exalted in your life. Then he says, let us exalt his name together. Let's do it together. I shouldn't have to do it by myself. Let's exalt his name together. And I know you're thinking, Daryl, but you don't know me. You don't know how big my problems are. You don't know what I'm going through. I don't know you if you have an appreciation for how big the stuff is I have to go through. Well, I'm not here to minimize your problems. I'm here to help you maximize your God. Our God is great. And there's no problem that he cannot solve. Our God is great. There's no soul he cannot heal. Our God is great. There's no situation he cannot change. Our God is great. There's no mountain he cannot move. There's no storm he cannot calm because he is the king of kings. So they bring him gold, and they bring him frankincense. Frankincense was a gift reserved for priests. So these wise men, not only do they recognize him as king, but they also recognize him as a priest. Not just a priest, but the high priest. The priest, the priest in the Old Testament, the priest, his major responsibility was to be an advocate between Israel and God. And these men look upon this child, and they say, this is the high priest. This is the great advocate. This is our go-between. This is what Jesus says to the disciples in John 14. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. No one comes to the Father except by me. This is what these men see in this moment, that the only way to get to God is through this child. The only way to get to God is through Jesus. It was true then, and it's true now. Buddha can't get you to heaven. Muhammad can't get you to heaven. Good looks can get you to heaven. A good attitude can get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you to heaven is Jesus. It's Jesus. That's it. Jesus is the bridge. Jesus 
He's establishing that knowing him is not only the ultimate meaning and fulfillment of life on earth, but the only way to really know the Father in heaven. So they brought him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Myrrh is what was used as embalming fluid or perfume for the dead. So these kings, they show up to this child's celebration. And they bring a gift for kings. They bring a gift for priests. And they bring a gift for dead people. This is a sobering gift. But this is the reality. Mary, I know you just had this child, but I also need you to be prepared that he came to die. This demonstrates that they don't only just recognize him as king and priest, but also as savior. He came to die. We celebrate Christmas not simply because he came, but we celebrate for what he did. If he only came, there wouldn't be much of a celebration. It's the fact that he did what he came to do. That's what the celebration is. He came to be your savior. He came so that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty and the cost of sin. He came. All your issues, all your sin, all your wrongs, past, future, and present, he nailed it to the cross. Then they put him in a a grave, and he said, I'm leaving it there. That's why he came. That's why we worship him. We've got to make him bigger. We have to expand our thinking on who he is. I think our thinking is too small. We get to the Christmas season, and the reason that you make it about you is because God is too small in your life. But how do we change this cycle? We change this cycle by being like this wise man saying, I'm I'm going to seek Jesus in this season and every season. I'm going to seek him. I'm going to worship him. Finally, these wise men, they follow him. If we're going to make this season about Jesus, we're going to, if we're going to interrupt this unhealthy pattern, we got to seek him, we have to worship, worship him, and ultimately we have to turn and follow him. We got to turn and follow him. So these three kings, they go to King Herod first. And they tell them, we've seen the star, and we're going to go and find the king of the Jews. They are telling the current king of the Jews that we are about to leave and go find the king of the Jews. So Herod says... When you go find him, come back and tell me where he is so I can worship him too. Herod has malicious intent. Herod eventually puts out an edict that says he wants to kill all of the male children around the age of two and younger. So at all costs, Herod wants to protect his kingdom. So much so that he's willing to kill children. Now, before you judge Herod, 
I believe we are much like Herod because at all costs, we're willing to protect our own kingdoms. Ooh, I know this don't sound good. This wasn't meant to be a hallelujah, thank you, Jesus, roll on the floor message. Herod is committed to preserving his kingdom no matter what. And I would argue that Jesus is a threat to your kingdom too. Because we live to preserve our own comforts. We live to preserve our own ideals and our own opinions. And Jesus is a threat to your kingdom. But in order for Jesus to be the king of your life, you have to get off the throne. He can only be the king of your kingdom if you're not. And if we're honest, some of us, we are sitting right here on our own throne and Jesus has come to interrupt your kingdom. Herod tells them, go, see him, bring him back. Tell me where he is. But here's what happened. Verse 12 says, this is after they've seen Jesus. They've been in the presence of the master. They've been in the presence of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. They've been in the presence of the Savior. Verse 12 says, they were warned in a dream. And when they left Jesus, they went home another route. This, therein lies the great lesson. When you leave Jesus, you go home a different way. They didn't go back to Herod. They came under the auspices of Herod. They left under the authority of Jesus Christ. Once you've been in the presence of Jesus, you can't go back the same way. These kings, it says, they turned and went a different route. A different route. When you seek him, the ultimate culmination is when you turn and go a different way. And some of us, some of us in this room, some of us who are watching, we need to turn and go a different way. You know who you are. I'll, I'll, I'll close with this. Pastor Earl Palmer from Southern California used to attend Princeton. Princeton is on the East Coast, but he's a pastor on the West Coast. He grew up on the West Coast, and every college break that they would have, him and some of his friends who also lived on the West Coast, they would, they would jump in a car together, and they would drive from the East Coast to the West Coast. And they would take turns while one person drove, the rest of them would sleep and get ready for their turn to drive the car. So Andy is driving, he's one of the guys in the car, Andy is driving the car one day, and as Andy is driving, and it's, it's three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, it's late, it's foggy, he, does, he needs to gas up the car, but he cannot find a gas station on his side of the road. But he keeps passing them up on the other side. So he gets off the exit and goes to a gas station on the other side of the road. And he pumps his gas. And he, he wakes up Earl 
who's the next driver. He goes inside, gets something. Earl goes inside to get something to drink. When he goes inside, Andy gets into the backseat and goes to sleep. Earl comes out of the gas station, gets in the car, and takes off driving on the side of the highway they were on. And it's foggy, it's late, it's three o'clock in the morning. He can barely see the signs. And when he does finally start to see the signs, remember, they're going west. They just left east. When he does start seeing signs, he notices an off-ramp that says, New York, next exit. He actually pays it no mind, but he, he keeps driving because he knows he's going in the right direction. He sees the next sign. The next sign says, Boston, next exit. He's a little bit confused, but he continues driving because he knows in his heart of hearts, I'm going the right direction. Eventually, as it happens, somewhere around 6 a.m., he notices the sun coming up in his windshield. And as he looks through that windshield, he thinks to himself, the sun should be behind me, but it's in front of me pulls over the car, wakes up the guys. Everybody gets mad and they're yelling because he's been going the wrong way for hours and they get up yelling, how much time have they lost because he's been driving in the wrong direction. But he sat there thinking to himself, I ignored all those signs, but when the sun came up, it was too big of a sign to ignore. Grace Family Church, I'm telling you that God came down and he lived on this earth for 33 and a half years. He walked up Golgotha's hill. He carried your cross, all your sin. They put him in a grave. And then three days later, the sun came up. And when the sun comes up, that's too big of a sign for you to ignore. The sun is a reminder that you need to turn yourself around and go the right way. You've seen a lot of other signs and you've ignored them because you think, I'm right. I'm doing the right thing. But the sun is coming up and it's time to turn around like these wise men and follow him. Some of you need to worship him more as your king, as your priest and as your savior. And the best way to break this selfish cycle, the best way to be interrupted is for you to turn around because the sun has come up and it's too big for you to ignore. Would you do me a favor in the room? Do me a favor, anybody that's watching, just close your eyes for a minute. Just close your eyes. Bow your heads. I don't have a whole lot of time, just these few moments. I want to talk to someone in this room who's willing to have enough courage and enough honesty to say, I've been going the wrong way. I'm going to ask you to do something that's going to require some courage and some strength. If you know that you've been going the wrong way, I want to tell you that God has made a way for you. God has made a way for you to turn around. And if that's you, don't just sit there and negotiate all the reasons to not turn. 
right now is your opportunity to raise the white flag and say, God, I surrender to you and I'm turning to your way. So if you are watching, if you are in the room, I'm just going to ask you to slip your hand up and say, that's me. I need to turn. Oh, I see your hand. I need to turn. The sun is too big of a sign for me to not turn and notice. I see you. I see you. I see your hand. Don't sit there. You've got a few more moments. You've got a few more moments. I'm going to give it a few more seconds. If that's you, you know I have not been walking the right way. And God is showing me signs. He's been showing me exits, but I've been ignoring him. I'm telling you right now, the sun is coming up. The sun is here. This is why he came. He didn't come for Christmas trees and, and lights and secret Santas. He came to save your soul. He came so that you could be delivered. I see those hands. I'm going to have the campus pastors here come up in a moment, but I want to pray for you. All those hands that were raised. Father, you said if, if we confess and if we believe that you'd show up in a way that would transform our lives, you said that we would be saved. So, Father, we are confessing and believing and now we start thinking, because of your grace, we've been saved. We've been brought back home. We've been restored. We've been rene renewed. Uh, we've been visited by the king, by the priest, by the savior. And this season, we're going to make it about you and not ourselves. God, we thank you for the greatest gift that you could ever give us and the greatest story that's ever been told. God, we thank you for saving our souls, renewing our hearts, restarting and regenerating minds. In Jesus' name. As we seal that, can we just give God some glory and some praise for that? Come on, give God some praise for that. Yeah. Thank you for listening to the Grace Family Church podcast. For more info, check out gfcflorida.com or connect with us by texting the word CONNECT to 81313. We look forward to meeting you at one of our locations soon.